All right, take your Bibles this morning to John 14. John 14. We're going to get right back into our series, pick it up where we left off. The title of the message this morning is The Father Revealed. The Father Revealed. Jesus is in the upper room with the the disciples and he's spending his last few hours on earth with them. He's opening up his heart. He's he's pouring into them. And in John 14, he he just shared with them that he was going to go away and but he was going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. And he said, there are many mansions or many abodes. There are many places to dwell. And he reminded them that they knew the way and that he was the way, the truth and the life. That no one came comes to the father except through him. You can imagine that their heart still was a bit troubled. They'd spend the last three and a half years in his presence, watching him work, witnessing his miracles, seeing him heal the sick, give sight to the blind. And now he just told them he would go away. But we're going to unpack this morning as Jesus continues in this conversation with the disciples and he's going to reveal the father now I want you to get this picture culturally a Jew they would have had a different view of God the father than you and I have today they would have known the one and true living God but they would have not had the same um frivolous, like sometimes like we have frivolous view of being in his presence. Do you understand that in this culture? It was only the high priest that would go into the holies of holies once a year. You understand that the holiness of God was very apparent to them. As you look throughout the Old Testament, there were times when God's servants asked to, to, that he would reveal himself to them, that they would get a glimpse of him. You remember Moses doing that? And God said, no, you, you couldn't see me, but I'll let you see me walking past and you can see the, my, the, the back of me. And because if you saw me you, you, in the presence of my holiness, you'd die. Remember Moses came to that burning bush and God said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And that wasn't even, (laughs) at that point, it wasn't even the full manifestation of God. Do you remember when the Ark of the Covenant was being transported on a cart, a new cart that really was never God's plan for it to be transported that way? And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God and And one of the servants, they went over a bump and one of the servants touched, just touched the Ark of the Covenant. He dropped dead. You 
You remember when God was making his covenant with Abraham, he put him into a deep sleep and he put the animals and they were cut into twos and God walked through while Abraham was asleep. God walked through those sacrifices. And he had to do it while Abraham was asleep because his presence, his, his holiness. I want you to just get this picture this morning. That the father had not been revealed to them in the fullness of what we have experienced. But in fact, he had, and we're going to look at it this morning. Jesus is going to unveil the Father. Let's start reading in verse number seven. The Bible says, Jesus is speaking. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, or is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, that you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of, my, of the works themselves. Verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I want you to notice with me in these verses this morning, first of all, that Jesus unveils the Father. Jesus unveils the Father. All throughout history up to this point, there was a mystery concerning the God of the Bible. There was a veil between humanity, sinful humanity, and a holy, righteous, pure God. And Jesus, when he came into the world, when he, what we just celebrated in Christmas, when, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he unveiled the Father. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. I was doing some studying this week and in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there were four different levels or four different words in the sense for know, to know someone or to know something. Okay. There are different levels. Now, the lowest level, the most basic level of knowing something is to know it as a fact, to know it as a fact. And we know for a fact that gravity is a is a law, right? If you were to jump on off of that balcony this morning, you would if you don't know, you'd find out really quickly. Right. We have an intellectual 
awareness of it. We have knowledge of it. The second level to, of knowing something is to understand the truth behind the fact. Now, with gravity, we understand the truth behind the fact scientifically. With space, time, and matter, and in our Earth's atmosphere, we understand that if you know if you were anything with certain um, parameters, it, it once it is dropped from a certain height, and gravity is going to pull that force down, and, and we understand the fact. So we have a a level of knowing gravity. But it is possible to know a fact and know it is true and still be lost. How many of you guys have seen these guys who, who, uh, <laughs> who do like the parkour stuff? Or have you seen those mountain climbers who, who do so without the harnesses? These men and women, they know gravity. They know at a certain height that if they were to fall off, that that would be the end of them, right? They understand it. And yet they ignore the facts. They defy the facts. And how many of you guys know people like that when it comes to, to God? They may know, they may believe there is a God. They may believe that the Bible is the holy book. They may believe these things, but they don't accept to their, they don't receive it for themselves. They, they think that maybe they're a good person. They think that maybe they're all right. And that religion is for people who are weak. And that may be true for you, but you, you've heard it all. And I understand uh, we, got, we have an understanding of what this level of knowledge is. The third level that's described in the Bible as far as knowledge is, is relationship. Relationship to know and to believe in a person to become related to him and her and if you're saved this morning it is because you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ you have a personal relationship with him you you know him and you believe on him you come into faith uh, with him and and him alone and and I want you to see this third level of knowing is to have a relationship with him. I talk, I use this illustration all the time, but I, I know about LeBron James, but I don't have a cell phone number. I don't, I mean, he doesn't know me and, and we, we don't have a, a relationship. <laughs> and many people go to church. Many people, uh, some read the Bible, some go through life and follow the, the, the tenets of a religion, but they do not know Jesus personally. That isn't saving faith. Saving faith is when you come into relationship with him. Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave three days later, and I am trusting in you to save me. I, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. That's, that's the level of relationship here, the third level of knowing is speaking about. And there's a fourth level. This is what I'm asking God to do in my life and continue in my life in the new year. There's a level of intimacy in the fourth level. It means a deeper relationship. You see, many Christians stop at the initial relationship point. They, they come to know Christ, they get saved, and there's where the growing stops. 
There is where the pursuit ends. There is where oh, I'm good. Jesus, I'll see you when you call me home. Uh, I'm going to live my life and I'll come to church every three weeks, maybe Christmas and Easter. And I read my Bible. I'll, I'll knock the dust off of it every now and then, maybe when we're going through something. But there's not a deep, intimate relationship with God, a pursuit of God. The fourth use of no, it, it speaks of a deeper communion. This was the level that Paul spoke about when he says that in Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know him, that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. Let me ask you this morning, and I had to ask myself every, you know, one of the hard things about preaching is that though you're in the Bible and it cuts you first. I bled over this Bible, <laughs> preparing this, all blood, sweat, and tears, going and, and preparing messages. But I want you to understand something. I want to ask this question. Is that the description of your relationship with God? That you want to be nearer to him? You want to know him deeply. You want to be intimate with him. Now, the picture here is that let me give you an illustration that you can understand for those of you who are married when the bible says this about adam in genesis 4 he said and adam knew his wife what was he speaking about physical intimacy the 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 consummation of their marriage and i've always asked myself this question what were they doing before the fall they had intimacy i believe mainly they were going about life, and they had intimacy with God. I think they were fulfilled in that, to be honest with you. <laughs> Let's be honest. It talks about after the fall in Genesis 4 that Adam knew his wife physically. Now, there's no deeper way to know a, a person, a human, uh, than that act of physical intimacy. And so what the picture here is, spiritually, I want you to hear it this morning. I want you to follow me. Because we can rush by this, but I think this is the, if you get anything out of this message, I want you to get this. That every believer should have a burning desire, a overwhelming, consuming desire to know Jesus deeper. And when we do not have that desire, that is an indication that we are finding our fulfillment and our joy and our purpose elsewhere other things there are there's idolatry going on there is something between my soul and my savior and the truth of the matter is it's something that we all battle we all battle could it be that we're so upset with the demise of this country because we may not get the american dream our 40 acres and a mule we may not live comfortably could it be that what's got us all, you know, on edge is because we are so bought in and so wrapped up in this world. Let me tell you, that's not the Christianity that I see in the Bible. The Christianity that is found in the scriptures, men and women were faithful to God, even if it meant that they were thrown to the lions. 
Listen to me, y'all. We've, we've domesticated uh, Christianity. We've westernized Christianity. Christianity has always been a full contact sport. Gladiator sport. I'm telling you, we've gotten so soft in our culture, and it shows. This type of Christianity does not change the world. Real Christianity, real Christians say, oh, Paul, he'd go from one city to the next. He'd get stoned. He'd be in a pool of blood and he'd get up. They thought he was dead. He'd get up and he'd go to the next town and he'd preach to those people. He said, my life, it means nothing to me. Oh, God was convicting me of that this week. Oh, we do everything to preserve this life, to conserve it. We do everything to stay comfortable. We do everything. We, we do well to look at our lives and ask us, ask us the, the tough questions. Do I love Jesus more than my life? Because what did he say? If you love this life, you will lose it. If you live for now, you live for comfort. If you live for this, you will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he will find it. He will find it. Oh, I was convicted. I was, I was in tears yesterday. I was listening to worship. And the song, I, I think I mentioned it a few months ago, but the song, I give myself away so that you can use me. And it says that over, I give myself away so you can use me. And it's like God just showed me like, hey, you remember when there was, when I could wake you up in the middle of the night and say pray? And you remember when I would tell you to witness to this person and there wouldn't be hesitation? You remember when you were more surrendered than you are right now, Abram? Do you remember when you loved me where all you wanted to do is to be with me? I, I remember nights, you know, he'd wake me up. I'd sometimes get in the car, go for a drive and just spend time with him. And this is what Jesus is beginning this this discourse with the disciples. If you would, if you had known me. Now I want you to get this. There was an inner circle even within the disciples. I always I think about this. There were those within the disciple group that were closer to Jesus. And there were those who were not as close. And, and, and God revealed more of himself to those who were closest to him. In a moment, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in a moment, Philip is going to ask Jesus to show him the Father, right? But if Philip would have been where he should have been, I think, and I'm not being critical of Philip because he, he left all and he followed Christ. Jesus is going to say here, you, you would have known you you would you would know my father. You would you would not need to see a, a, a sign. I think this is where many of us 
we need to ask the Lord to take us deeper in the new year because oftentimes the little things trip us up. The, 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 we aren't able to, to be running on all of our cylinders because this main thing isn't where it should be. Our, our proximity to Jesus, our, our desire for him and a deeper relationship. But I want to see Jesus, he unveils the Father. He does so in a personal manner. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. You would have known my Father also. And he says, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. So I want you to hear what the Lord is saying to the disciples in the room there. He's saying, because you know me, because of your relationship with me. And I want you to get this. Jesus is saying to these men, because they are in relationship, he's not saying that they didn't know him. These men did know him. These men did love Jesus. These men did serve the Lord. Um, but what Jesus is saying to them is that, that because of that relationship with me, you know the Father. You've seen the Father in me. He unveils the Father personally personally. But I want you to see Philip's request. Look at verse number eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. So Philip asked this question. He asked this question based on, because he did not quite understand what Jesus was saying. And he asked to, to see the father. He show us the father. What Philip was asking for is called a theophany. He, he wanted to see God in front of him. He wanted God to appear. He wanted Jesus to say, Father, can you, can you come? But the Father was already there. The Father never left Jesus, and they were one. And I, I want you to remember back in John 8, when they, the Jews were going to stone Jesus, why were they going to stone him? Because he said, my Father and I are one. I am equal with the Father. We are in, when you see me, you are seeing the Father. You see, uh, Jesus, he perfectly displayed the, the character and the qualities of God. The personality of God was wrapped up in a human form. And I want you to get this picture. It is the greatest mystery of mysteries that God would be made flesh. And Jesus is before him and Philip asked this question now I want you to I, I think Philip's heart is in the right place because Philip wanted to know the father more oh Jesus found Philip back in John 1 when he went to to Bethsaida or, or Galilee excuse me and Philip who was from Bethsaida the city same city as Andrew and Peter and the Bible says that he began to follow Jesus and Philip found Nathaniel <laughs> and uh, Jesus said of Nathaniel that there was a man where there was no guile, no deceit in him. But I want you to know Philip, every time we see Philip in scripture, he's serving God or he, he's, he, we don't see him in a negative light like we may see some of the other disciples. And I want you to just get his heart. He desires God. Like I was just preaching to us a moment ago and to myself earlier this week, do I desire God? Do I have that burning desire 
to know God better, to study his word, to, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in worship. This was why this is the, the motive behind Philip's question, I believe. He knew that Jesus would soon leave them and he just wanted something to hold him over <laughs> until he would be with him. So I want you to get the picture this morning. Jesus, he unveils the Father personally. He, he reveals the mystery of who God is in his person. And I want to just hit on that for a moment. What does Jesus reveal about the, what did he reveal about the Father? How many of you guys have heard someone say, I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Anybody heard that? He seems like he's in vengeance. He's, a, he's, a, he's an angry guy. He seems, <laughs> I've heard that many, many times. But do you understand that Jesus revealed the heart of the Father? Jesus was not some nice God, or Jesus was not the good cop and the Father the bad cop. They were one. Jesus revealed the Father. He reveals, he shows us the Father's love. The Father's compassion, His mercy and goodness. How many of you guys can say what David said? Surely His mercy and goodness have followed me all the days of my life. That's the Father. And that's the Son. We can't separate the two. Now, we've been preaching a lot through Revelation that, you know, He's returning. He's returning as a ruler. He came as a savior, but he's coming as a ruler. There are, there's, just like with your personality, there, there are different sides to, to God. We're made in his image, and he's a holy God. And he will uh, one day judge sin. But thank God for those of us who are in Christ this morning, he will never judge us for our sin. Because he judged Jesus on the cross in our place. He was our substitute. Jesus reveals the Father's character. How many of you guys have said, over the last, over my lifetime, I've seen the people of the world reveal their Father as well <laughs> and how they act? You know, it always makes me chuckle when people say they're a good person. I don't say I'm a good person. I know, I know me, right? Just, just go drive. Did any of you guys try to drive during, you know, before Christmas? over off of Avenue P and Rancho Vista. Or let me take some of you commute down to LA. You tell me if there's so many good people, why is it that, you know, there's so much rage on the freeway? Why is it that there's so much unrest everywhere? If we're all good people, <laughs> truth is we're broken. And there is none good, no, not one. But the world reveals who their father is. Shouldn't we reveal who our father is? Let me ask that question again. If the world reveals who their father is, those who do not know God, shouldn't we reveal our father? That's what Jesus did, right? That convicted me this week. Am I gracious? Do I have the fruit of the Spirit in my long suffering? <laughs> in my loving? Do I extend grace to those 
near to me and around me. And I don't always do that. I fall short. I fell short on the basketball court this week. <laughs> I would make fun. My boy Nick back there, you guys see him back there in the beanie right there? I was cooking him this week, guys, on the court. He, he would argue with that. And he's like my little brother. So you know what I started to do? I started to tell him about it. You can't guard me. You're not him. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was in the flesh, prideful, arrogant. I had, to, I had to confess it this morning, Nick. I'm sorry, publicly, I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> and we're going back and we're competing, you know, we're having fun, you know, but the pride, you know, it's, it's ugly, it's sinful. And um, I wasn't revealing my father in those moments. I was not. And I'm telling you, Christians, in the new year, it should be each and every one of our prayers to reveal the character of our father. But you understand this, that it's not going to happen unless we are spending time with him, unless we are pursuing him, unless we are uh, allowing him to transform us. Because I've learned this, and I know you guys would agree in your own lives, that it, it, if it were not for the spirit of God, it, it's God working in me and then through me. That's the only way there's, like Paul said, there's, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's no good thing in me apart from Jesus. And the, the sooner we realize that and we humble ourselves and we go to God on a daily basis, almost on an hourly basis and say, Lord, search my heart. Cleanse my heart, Lord. Anybody have to apologize to your kids or your wife? I mean, maybe that's what you should do. You shouldn't bring it into the new year. You should make things right and start to live out your faith and let the Father shine in and through you. Jesus reveals the Father. He unveiled the Father perfectly and personally. But I want to see he goes on. In verse number nine, Jesus said to Philip, so Philip made the request and he says to him, Jesus said to him, I have, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So I won't beat this up too much anymore, but Jesus answers Philip's request. He says, I've been with you this long and you don't understand quite yet, Philip, that he who has seen me has seen the Father. I was reading some commentaries this week, and I want you to understand the, uh, the, the, the audacity, in a sense, of the statement that Jesus is making here. He's saying what no other creature could ever say in the history of mankind, that he was a perfect embodiment of God the Father, the perfect image. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. If I took a picture of you this morning, I, I don't like seeing my, the videos from, you know, from these sermons and stuff because the camera, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do me. I, I see the real, right? Sometimes we look in the mirror, guys especially, and we say, oh, not bad. Not too bad. 
But then we, then we get it. We see a picture. Like we took family pictures. Uh, I my, asked my wife, I, I love the pictures after we're done with them. Right. But I hate taking pictures. I absolutely hate it. And it's because it reveals to me <laughs> the areas that aren't right. And I won't get too transparent, but yeah, this is why we need to in January to be on our game, right? To get back, get things in order, right? We've had fun Christmas and New Year's. Some of you are going to have fun today, right? It's already planned, but I hope you have planned for that fast too. Hope you have plans to discipline the flesh like I do to get things in order. But anyhow, Jesus, if you took a picture of God, the father, you know what you see? You see Jesus. And I want you to get that picture. This is what Jesus is saying to Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. You've seen the father. So how do you say to me, show us the father? And um, Jesus revealed the father. And I want you to also, and I, this kind of stood out to me as I prepared this message. Says Jesus, once again, he's taking these questions. He's handling these questions and these doubts. And, and I want us to, to understand something this morning that you can bring and I can bring my questions and doubts to God. I had a, we've all had a rough week with the, with the passing of Russell. I don't know, most of you probably have heard by now, Russell Pence and a good friend of Pastor and myself and many in you, many of you in this room, many in this church. He was such a kind heart. He loved the Lord Jesus. It was evident. You know, he, he lived a rough life and he'd be the first to admit it. And uh, so we were all praying and believing and asking for God to heal him. I remember uh, about a month ago, we had a, that pastor and I had an occasion to have a meal with him, to have breakfast with him. And he, had, I could tell, you know, he had lost about 30, 40 pounds. And, but he's still in good spirits, still praising God. And, and I didn't tell anyone this, but, you know, after that meal and just talking with him, I just had a sense, I don't know. I think his healing may be coming and not the way that we hope. I didn't say anything to anyone, but I just prayed in faith. And um, there's a lot of people, a lot of people close to him right now who have questions, who are hurting. It was his desire to see, uh, to see after his mother. He'd hoped that he would be around to take care of Miss Sonia and but God saw fit to call him home. But I was reminded that, you know, Jesus, he can handle our questions. We can bring our questions to him. We can bring our hurts, our concerns to him. Sometimes he answers quickly. Sometimes he, he waits to answer. Sometimes we don't get an answer this side of eternity, but he will answer our questions at some point. And we've got to trust him when we don't understand what he's doing. We've got to trust his heart. I got to visit Miss Sonia. I got to visit his mom last Sunday. And she held my hand and, and she just, she ended up encouraging me more than I ever encouraged her. She said, I remember when God 
showed me a vision. I, 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 I've been praying for my son for decades, for years, to the point where she said, I, I, my knees, I feel it in my knees till this day. <laughs> and I remember God giving me a vision, she said. And then that vision showed him on the throne with a rope in his hand and and it was going through different rooms and it was going all the way down to earth, all the way down. And the other end of the rope was wrapped around Russell's ankle. And God said to her, I've got him. This one won't get away. <laughs> and she prayed for that man and he became the pastor of a prison. He led many to Christ. Many in the cancer ward and the prison. Men in this church have been led to Christ by that man. And I just, I don't always understand what God is doing, but he, his, his plan is perfect. His ways are above mine. And uh, we can go to him in our times of, of, of need. And this is what Philip did. He asked him, he asked him, show us the Father. Jesus said, I just want you to know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, you have need of nothing, Philip. And Jesus goes on in verse number 10. He asked this question. And the way that in the original language, I won't take time, but the Bible, as I mentioned before, is written in Greek and sometimes the translation into English or other languages, it doesn't do the full justice to what the original language was saying. But he, he says in verse number 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now the first part of verse number 10, Jesus is asking a question knowing that he would uh, solicit an answer. Uh, he knew he was expecting for them to answer. Yes, we, we know that you are in the father. The father is in you. How many of you guys do that with your kids? You, I do it often. Sometimes if they wake up afraid or something in that matter and they, they said I had a bad dream or, you know, I'm afraid of this or that. Or, and I say, well, are any of those things more powerful than Jesus? And they'd be like, no. And I say, well, call on him. He makes the darkness tremble. And I believe this is the, the manner in which Jesus asked this question to not only Philip, but to the others in the room. Because Philip was maybe the one voicing it at this moment, but there's probably a, a few other of them who were feeling this. Who were feeling the pain of the fact that Jesus would leave them. And Jesus says, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And I want us to remember this. What is going to keep us in the days ahead? What is going to keep you and I when the diagnosis comes? What's going to keep us when the loved one passes on? It's going to be our faith. Our faith is the only thing that cannot be taken from us. Our faith. And if it's surely placed in Jesus' hands this morning, you're all right, okay? We're going to be okay. You know, when I tell that to people who are in Christ, it's going to be all right. 
whether he heals you this side of eternity or he calls you home, it's going to be all right. I can say it with all of assurance. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Uh, Russell wouldn't come back if he could, would he, folks? Absolutely not. And so I want us to get this. I want these sermons to build our faith. And this is what Jesus was doing in this room. He's saying, do you believe that I'm in the Father? Do you believe me? If you don't believe my words, listen to me, the words that he says to them in verse 10, the words that I speak to you. So he said, one of the reasons why you should believe me is my word, my word. You know, the Bible says faith coming, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hey, one of the reasons why you should have at the top of your list for the new year is to read through this Bible, is to get in this word. It's because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is going to strengthen your faith and my faith. Hey, you know why I'm not on Prozac this morning or I'm not on the anxiety pills when I see what's going on in this nation? It's because I got medicine. I got food. <laughs> this word, have you gone through a Bible? I mean, some of you, you're on the same Bible you had for 20 years. I've, I, I've had to replace several Bibles. I, I want you to understand these pages should be worn out because I'm telling you, when you see somebody who's in this book and their Bible's falling apart, their life isn't, I bet you. I bet you. So where's your faith this morning? Jesus said, he's saying to them, do you believe what I'm saying? Do you believe my word? He said, if you don't believe my word, then you should believe me for the works. He said, I do not speak on my own authority. Now, a lot of the cults try to take this and say, look, 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 Jesus is less than the father. He says, I do not do this on my own authority or in my own power, so to speak. But no, Jesus, he submitted to the Father. He was equal with the Father, but he submitted to the Father. He said, I always do the things that the Father tells me to do. Do you guys understand that even in the miracles, Jesus, you don't want to know why he had to say to his mom at the, at the wedding in Cana, woman, what have I to do with thee? Now, you want to know why he's saying this? Because he hadn't, I believe he hadn't, he knew what would happen, but he, he hadn't planned to display a miracle at that point. He was waiting on when God told him. Do you know for 30 years of his life, he performed no miracles? Did he have the power to? If you and I had that power, oh man, we'd be doing some stuff, you know, from the time that we were kids. But he submitted to the authority of the Father. He did things in God's timing and God within God's will. I want you to get that picture this morning. He was not less than the Father. He was he's one with the Father. So he says, I, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So God the Father was working through Jesus. His power was on display to the fullness. The Bible says that in him, Jesus, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so what he was saying to the disciple group here 
Because if you don't believe me just for my word, if you can't have, if, that, if that's not enough to, to bolster your faith, believe me for the works that you've seen. And, and this morning I want to tell us the same. We, we haven't had the privilege of what these men had to see him in the flesh yet, right? But we've seen him work. I've seen, I've had front row seats to see him work, transform lives. I've seen his power in my own life every single time I step up here. Uh, I've seen his power. I want you to understand something today. He is desiring, he's looking for, the, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the, the earth for those who believe on him, who believe in him, who have faith that he can do exceedingly abundantly above what he can ask or think. What God is attracted to in in your life and in my life isn't our ability but our faith in his ability so this year may 24 be a year where we step out on faith we believe God to use our lives that we, we believe we step out in faith we don't live in that comfort zone one more year hey this may be the year he calls you home what will you have to show for 24 Hey, these men were going to get sent out. And what he is doing, what Jesus is strategically doing is preparing them. Preparing them for the works that they would do. See, in their mind, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in their mind, they probably think, oh, it's all over now. We're not going to do anything. But really, it was just getting started. <laughs> they had watched Jesus do what only he could do. But we're going to see in a few few verses, he, he says that they would do greater a greater scope of things. I want you to get that this morning. Jesus unveils the Father personally, perfectly. But I want you to see now. Let me read verse eleven, and then we're going to get into the next part. Jesus unveils prayer a new season in the world when it comes to prayer verse 11 he says believe me that i am in the father and the father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves i just preached this this is what he said believe me for the works if you don't believe me for what i'm telling you believe me for the works that i've done the miracles that i have I have displayed in front of you. But now Jesus is going to pivot. He's going to transition in verse number 12, and he's going to unveil prayer. He unveils the Father. But now he's going to unveil a, a new type of prayer, I would say. Look what he says in verse number 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name that I will do that in the that the father may be glorified in the son. I want you to see Jesus unveiling prayer. Now up until this point, these men, the disciples, they had gone to Jesus with their issues, right? When they were on that storm, and Jesus wasn't in the boat, right? 
And they thought they were going to perish, and <laughs> they were crying out for Jesus, save us. And we see Jesus came walking on the water. He came, he calmed the sea. <laughs> when they needed power to go out and minister, Jesus gave them the power to cast out devils and, and to do uh, the work of the ministry. When they were uh, feeding the 5,000, they came to Jesus and they brought the bread and he broke it and he gave to them. So they had come, they had spent three and a half years ministering in the, uh, in his presence. And so, uh, it, his power was at their, uh, this, he could, they can go to him for his power. But he told them that he's going to go away now. Now what? Now, how would they continue on? It would be through prayer. It would be through going to the Father through the Son. See, Jesus did everything he did through the Father's power. And, and, and so we, when we pray, we're going to see in a moment that we, have, we pray in Jesus' name so that we can receive the power. And not only that, uh, Jesus is going to talk about later on in this chapter how he would leave the whole, he would send the Holy Spirit within us that will be our power source as well. But I want you to see this prayer that he models. Jesus says that we must pray in faith. We must pray in faith. He says that you must, we must believe. Verse 11, he said we must believe in him. We must have a prayer that is not one that is wavering, not one that is, uh, can he do it? Oh, no, we must have a prayer life that believes on God. Let me tell you this. Our prayer lives is a direct indication of how much we believe God or how dependent we are on God. Do you have anything on your prayer list that seemingly is impossible? Or are you just praying for the basic things? Hey, don't get me wrong. I'm not beating you up. If Jesus said, if you have a faith of the size of a mustard seed. So I'm not saying if you're in here, and you don't have big faith that you're not, you're not pleasing God. But is it at least a mustard seed more than your, in my doubt? Is it at least a mustard seed of faith to believe that God can turn this situation around? He could turn this nation around. He could bring revival to this nation, to the church of America. Is, do we have a mustard seed of faith? Because Jesus said if we do, then we can look at a mountain. <laughs> a mountain, anybody? I grew up in, in Denver, Colorado, and I often would, rock, would walk by the Rocky Mountains. You know, we have hills out here. Those are mountains. And uh, I, it, it always take my breath away when, when it, they'd be snow capped. And it, it's a beautiful, beautiful, the clean air, high elevation. But Jesus said in his word, he said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be removed. And what I want to tell someone for 24 and every year after that, that God would give us that we should pray with faith. We must pray in faith. We must believe God. You see, the only thing that limits God's work in our life is our unbelief. Our unbelief. And I want to tell someone, you can believe God. You say, I've been praying, Pastor. It hasn't happened yet. Keep believing. Keep praying. We must pray in faith.
And I've learned this when I pray in faith, whether he answers then or later, he gives me peace as I wait on him. That's the beneficiary. Uh, that's one of the, the blessings of being a prayer, a prayer warrior, to being a, a person who prays, who believes on God, is that, hey, I gave that to you, God. I can just, <laughs> God, I, I, I'm going to continue to give this to you. I'm trusting you. And he gives peace in, respo in response. And in the meantime, I'm not up twiddling my, you know, wringing my hands. And he gives peace. You guys remember the old hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Maybe you're praying for a prodigal. Maybe you're praying for your marriage. Maybe you're, you're praying for something, a breakthrough in your health. Take it to the Lord in prayer and watch the peace begin to flow. We must pray in faith. But I want you to see not only must we pray in faith, but we must pray and work. I want you to get this picture this morning. Because look at verse number 20. It says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Listen to me. Listen to Jesus' words. And greater works than, uh, than these he will do because I go to my Father. It's amazing what Jesus is saying here. Maybe the disciples were thinking, it's all done, it's over. He's leaving. There's no more hope. There's, we're just going to have to wait till they kill us too, and then we, we'll go be with him. But no, Jesus is saying to them that the works that he did, that they would do also. Now, now there's some confusion about this. Now, these men were, they were special. They held a special office. Do we understand that this morning? They were the apostles. Okay? The Bible says that he gave some apostles some prophets, some teachers, some pastors. There's certain offices that have certain privileges. And I personally believe that these men were given by God a supernatural uh, ability to perform miracles. Um, Paul, the last of the apostles, he, he talked about when he was one day, uh, they were shipwrecked, right? And he went to grab a log off the fire and a viper, poisonous viper, bit him, right? And he shook it off, right? That serpent. And the people, the, the, the locals were waiting for him to just die because, you know, it was a very poisonous snake, obviously. And, um, but he just kept on working. He just kept, he never, he never had any of the side effects from the poison. And they thought that he was a god. But I want you to just follow me for a moment. Now, there were certain miracles that the Bible says that the apostles would do, that they would be able to handle snakes. How many of you guys seen a few years ago, it's still going on, probably the phenomena uh, of some of these preachers who were handling poisonous snakes, right? And a few of them got bit and died. And so they're, they're taking that scripture, and I think they're taking it out of context, this is why it's always important to compare Scripture with Scripture. 
to filter the things that we are being taught. Like everything that I say in this sermon, you should go home and say, is that correct? And look and see if it lines up with scripture, because if it doesn't, toss it out. But I want you to get this picture. This is what I personally believe. Some may disagree that the apostles had supernatural enablement directly from God to do certain things because they were going to be the one who the ones who God would use to bring the gospel to the known world. Now, I want you to get this this morning as well. When Jesus said that they would do greater works, he wasn't talking about they would do more spectacular things than he did. No. What he was saying is that they would have a greater sphere of influence. They would have a greater scope of influence. For example, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and there were 3,000 men saved. You know, Jesus would preach sermons and what would happen? The crowds would get smaller. (laughs) There was a shift when the Spirit of God came and when God sent them out and and these apostles would go into the known world. I was doing some research on these apostles again this week. Paul, we know he went all over the Mediterranean, all over Asia Minor. He went to Rome on several trips. Greece, he brought the gospel uh, to Asia Minor. Churches on many different soils. Thomas, the doubting Thomas, was filled with the Spirit and he went to Persia. And then he, he, he was said to have gone all the way to India with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he died there. Matthew, the writer of uh, the gospel of Matthew, his, his work led him to Spain, our Spanish brethren, right? And also to France uh, in his ministry. Peter, he stayed mostly in Jerusalem in the areas surrounding, but he also made trips to Greece and to Rome to, to spread the good news. John, the beloved, the, the author, human author of the gospel, here we are in. He went to Asia as well, Asia Minor, but he was banned to the island of Patmos, Bartholomew. He went to India as well. Philip, he went to modern-day Turkey. He went to the, uh, listen, Matthew also went to Iran in his travels. Jude went to Mesopotamia. I want you to just get this picture. This is in the exhaustive list, but the gospel went out. These men took the gospel to the known world in the power of God. And the Bible says that they turned the world upside down with the gospel. It's one thing to pray and have faith, but if your faith never gets to your feet, what is it useful for? And I want to tell that to, I had to tell it to myself. Once again, it's one thing to preach in the pulpit to people who love you and like you, but it's another thing to go and, and be a witness out in this, the wild, wild west and, and maybe in, in your, your place of employment at the, on the lunch, I mean, it's another thing to be a light in, in dark places. And I want us to get this in our, in our minds, in our hearts for 2024. I think there's a great harvest. When things start getting difficult, people's ears are open to things that, and their hearts are open to things that they were shut off to before. So I want us to be on mission, to be ready, to have our, the reason why we're fasting is so we can charge that spiritual batter. We can get, do that reset, reset so that we can serve God 
in the new year. These apostles, each one of these men in the room, they would give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Man, I've been praying. I've been praying a lot of things, but I've been praying for God to call some some men in our church to preach. I mean, God to put it on some young women in the church to start ministries. I'm, I'm telling you, like, we have got to be on mission in this time. The time is short. And are we going to be just, are we going to be idle when he comes back? I was thinking about this verse this morning, meditating on it. Jesus said in the last days that the love of many would wax cold. You want to know one of the clear indications that we, our hearts are cold, that we aren't as close to Jesus as we should be is because we don't, we don't have a passion for what he had a passion for. People. People. Jesus loved people to the point where he's willing to put himself in harm's way. And I want us to just get this in our hearts. The greater works that Jesus was talking about was directly connected to salvation of the lost. Do you know the greatest miracle isn't to even see someone raised from the dead? You know, somebody could be raised from the dead and then die again one day and go to a Christless hell. Listen to me, church. You want to know what the greatest miracle, you know what gets heaven roaring? One sinner repents. I'm thanking God. I don't know what the stats are, but you guys have seen this baptistry almost on a weekly basis with someone who has given their lives to Christ. Praise God for that. Let me tell you. <laughs> what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? That he was the greatest of all the prophets. Did he ever perform any miracles? He simply preached. Prepare your hearts for the one who's coming. He's coming. I'm not worthy to lose his sandals, uh, the strap of his sandals, but prepare your heart. Make your heart. He preached the unpopular message of, of the word of God to many to repent and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that is the greatest message and the greatest miracle is that when that gospel is preached in the power of the spirit, that sinners repent and all heaven rejoice when one of them calls on the name of Jesus. Jesus. Hey, that's the greater work that Jesus was speaking about, I believe. And he goes on, he presses into prayer a little bit more. He says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Now, this is not a blanket statement, okay? <laughs> not, there's, there's some conditions. And like I say, we always want to filter scripture through scripture, my kids have been begging me for, for, for years now. They saw a movie where I guess the parents said for a day, whatever you guys ask, I will say yes. <laughs> so they've been asking, can we, Dad, can we have a yes day? Can we have a yes? No. <laughs> what if you raise your children with that philosophy and whatever they ask you for, they, they'd be dead by 10, right? They wouldn't see 10. I have a child, they, they wouldn't have never ate, eaten a vegetable their whole life. They'd be, they'd be on dialysis right now. 
<laughs> Let's be real. And God knows us. He knows. <laughs> he didn't, he's not going to give us a blanket statement where whatever you ask, and some of you men are like, oh, really? <laughs> no, in context. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Listen, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, what Jesus says there is a qualifying statement that the things that we ask should be things that will glorify God, that would bring glory to God. Some of you are praying for a lost loved one. Hey, that glorifies God. You're praying to get closer to him. That glorifies him. You're praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That glorifies him. These are the type of prayers that Jesus said, if you pray it in my name, I will answer that. Not for that new Lamborghini truck. He's not, gonna, he's not concerned with what you drive. <laughs> it's going to be in the junkyard in 20 years anyway. We must pray within his will. And anyone who's, who's close to God, who's allowing him to, to transform their lives, their hearts, our prayers will, will, will reflect that, okay? He says, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We must be aware that the, the type of prayer that Jesus unveils here is different than what the Jews were used to. Now they can go directly to the Father through Jesus' name. Listen to me. You don't got to go to a priest. Some of you grew up in a Roman Catholic background and you have to go to the priest and maybe he'll get it to the saint or to he get it to God. No, for we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We can go directly. The Bible says we can go boldly into the throne of grace to find help in time of need this morning. I want you to, in the new year, I want our, our lives to be, uh, be de <laughs> described as that of prayer, that of seeking God, that of putting him in his rightful place as Lord of our lives. I'm telling you, this is where you will find the joy, the fulfillment, the satisfaction that you're seeking for in other places and find none of it. I want you to know this morning that what Jesus was saying to these men, it wasn't just for these men, it's for us today too. We can go to him we have access to the Father. We have the hope of heaven. We have the call on our lives to go and, and to win our world as well. And I want you to just, uh, just let that soak in. How are we doing? Do we have a passion for him, to know him intimately? Is prayer a priority? Do we believe his word? Are we walking in faith? These are all things that we are called to do. This is what Jesus is revealing before them. The Father revealed. And I want to end with this this morning. You've maybe seen these interviews on social media. The interviewer asked, the person, would you rather have one billion dollars or spend five minutes with Jesus? 
you know, the person is a believer. Usually they say, I want to spend five minutes with Jesus. And um, I was thinking about that this week. The greatest privilege of our life is to know him. And we have the opportunity, if you're breathing right now, if you wake up tomorrow morning in 2024, you have before you a choice. Am I going to go after the things of this world today again? Or am I going to pursue Jesus? Am I going to pursue him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength? Not perfectly, but am I going to put him first? Oh, at first it may be a struggle, but I promise you, the more you taste of his goodness, the more you'll desire him. One of the things I love about when I get through those first miserable days of fasting <laughs> is it starts that appetite of the flesh. And it's like my, my heart shifts from the things of the world, from the physical desires to the spiritual and it's like every worship song, I'm boo-hooing, and, and the scriptures are like in 3D. Wow, he did what? I promise you, some of you haven't experienced it because you never, you've never, you've never gone more than a meal. <laughs> and I, I was right there with you. But I want to. I'm not saying this. It's not a legalism thing. It's not a. It's not if you don't do this, you're not spiritual. I'm not saying that, but there is something to it. We have a choice.